That, my friends, is Volcano Man, the opening song from David Dobkin's new film, Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, starring Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams as an Icelandic duo called Fire Saga who dream of winning the annual Eurovision Song Contest. The first thing you'll notice is that it's actually pretty good. That was one of the rules of our guest, director David Dobkins, when he took on the film. Dobkins is best known as the director of The Wedding Crashers, which also starred Rich McAdams. But his career started in music videos, including for Tupac Shakur. I'm Tim Malloy, and in this episode of Movie Maker Interviews, David Dobkins tells us how he helped expose Tupac's iconic thug life tattoo to the world, and the advice he got from his mentor, Ridley Scott. And finally, the advice that he has for aspiring filmmakers. By the way, if you're a filmmaker trying to finish a film now in these absolutely insane times, I want to tell you about Movie Maker Production Services, where we can double your budget through partnerships with our sponsors. If you have a projected budget of $10,000 or more, Movie Maker Production Services can double that budget. You just want to email tim at moviemaker.com, or you can DM us at moviemakermag. Also, if you like this episode, please subscribe, because we have another very good episode dropping this week with Werner Herzog. Not a guy who happens to share the name Werner Herzog with the famous director Werner Herzog. It's the actual Werner Herzog. And now, the director of Netflix's Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, a title I very much enjoy saying, David Dobkins. So I really dug the movie. It super snuck up on me. I wanted just like a really dumb, like fun, silly Will Ferrell movie. And by the end of it, I'm not, I'm not saying this to like blow smoke. I'm like blinking away tears. It's a great surprise. (laughs) Um, People are emotional about in the movie. It's a, it's you go on a journey with them. You know, we told a real story and there's a, a relationship that you slowly invest in over the course of it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so universal. I mean, it's about Iceland, which is such a specific place, but it really yeah. did feel like it could be my little hometown in California. It could be, you know, a small village anywhere in the world. It was just... That's kind of the point. And by the way, the point of that song in the end. The, the song Husavik was, uh, is, you know, it's a song about just reconnecting and realizing that where you are is probably has a lot to do with who you want to be and what you want to be and... You know, Eurovision is kind of that. It's it's an interesting thing. It's about each country trying to, you know, have pride and present their thing. But the thing that I always loved about Eurovision is just being a part of the contest was the win. They're not competitive like we are in America. It's You know, that's why some of them come out and it's totally goofy or it's totally, you know, off its head. It's a really lovely kind of way that they compete they're just you know they just want to be there and of course they want to win but they also and they are working really hard on the music and the performances but it's just it's a little bit different you know the campiness is welcome it's it it can be included and you can win with that that's the other thing that's so crazy yeah i have you found that a lot of americans don't have any idea what your vision even is most do not yeah yeah, most don't. And it's and it, and I didn't, by the way. I, I didn't until I read the script and then Googled Eurovision. 
my uh, my experience with Eurovision is I went and visited a friend who lived in Stockholm, and I went to a boat party. There's a boat party in yeah. the movie, and met a young lady there. <laughs> we were like talking and she was like do you want to come back to my place and watch the eurovision song contest and i was like that sounds totally made up like this is i i'm in right this is yeah, a total yeah. euphemism and then we literally watched the eurovision song contest <laughs> like that's exactly what she wanted to do like, yeah and w- w- how long ago was that <laughs> oh long time years? ago like okay and so you've known what this is oh yeah yeah, yeah. And it was awesome. I mean, it's really hard to get your head around it when you first see it. I mean, that's part of the thing is you're like, are they really good? Are they really bad? Are they, is this a joke? Is it being taken seriously? Everything is included. And by the way, we have nothing. We don't have, to my horror when I took the movie and realized from a production standpoint, we don't do live television shows with 20,000 people filling an arena. It's the weirdest hybrid of those two things. And when I realized that, I was like, oh my God, like, how are we going to pull this off? You know, they have, it's a huge concert that takes place over a week, by the way. And did you shoot it during the actual Eurovision? We did go to Eurovision in Tel Aviv last year to shoot all the crowds and shoot all the background plates. And to, you know, originally we were going just to see the show and understand it. Will had been going for years. And I was like, he's like, you have to come and see it yourself. And, so I went with him and Rachel, um, but right before we went, about six weeks before we went, and I, when I realized I was not gonna have any other way of doing this, I called up Netflix and I said, I gotta take a camera crew. I know we haven't started prepping yet, but I have to go shoot this because we'll never be able to replicate this crowd, either in the look or the scope or the, or the size, just as far as like they have, you know, something like 2,500 lights inside of that arena like they don't just light the stage they like the audience they like the walls the ceilings they have wristbands the whole thing was so complicated and well executed that i i panicked and i said i if i don't go shoot this i don't know how we're gonna we don't we can't do bohemian rhapsody we can't create an arena with digital people so will ferrell's wife is swedish right is that the origin of all this yes they yes Uh, 20 years ago she took him to Sweden for the summer, which they do every year. And uh, she said, everyone's excited and Eurovision was coming up and he watched it and he was like, oh my God, this is, a, this is me. <laughs> you know, he, he connected with it immediately and has been, and been watching it every year since. And about, I guess, seven or eight years ago, started attending it. They got to know him there. And he actually got the rights to Eurovision move, as a movie before anyone else. He got the rights and then brought it to Netflix. <laughs> that's how crazy he is about it was there a lot of competition for the rights to Eurovision I don't I have no idea again <laughs> I came on afterwards but I don't think so because anything that's not American you know right becomes a thing Netflix has a huge audience in Europe and you can make a movie like this where you could not make this movie anywhere else yeah because you know it's the price of a movie plus the fact that you're making the movie and there's no American basis for like whether it will work here or not was a big guess. But because Netflix basically opens globally and they realize there's 180 million people that watch this contest every year, which is an incredible number. I mean, it's bigger than the Super Bowl for us to have never heard of it. And they knew there was a huge audience and they, they gambled and they, they got it right. They were smart. 
Now, this is kind of a return to your roots in a way because yeah. you started off in music videos. Yeah. And your first, from what I see on Wikipedia, which is always completely accurate. Always. Your, your first gig was a Tupac video? My first paid gig was a Tupac video. I had done a spec, a couple spec videos for a band I knew in San Francisco, and I did a MTV contest, make your own video for Sonic Youth. And I had these two little re videos on my reel and got myself into a meeting at Interscope. And they had sent me a couple tracks before, but I had written a really kind of audacious treatment for a Tupac song. And they called me in and said, we don't want to ask him to read this. Will you go pitch this to him? <laughs> and I went to, his, to the studio where he was recording the album and pitched him the, the idea and he loved it. And it was, I get around and we, we ended up doing that video. And then we did keep your head up as well. No so, yeah, way. I started, I started, I started at a very high level. Now I don't think he was very well known at that point. He wasn't. Um, I'm a, I'm a rap lover and I had not heard of Tupac, although I knew digital underground. I knew he was a part of that group in some way, yeah. but I mostly knew, you know, shock G and money B from that group who so also, by the way, ended up in the, I get around video. Yeah, because his first, I think his first song is um, the one from Nothing But Trouble, the Dan Aykroyd movie with Digital Underground, where he's doing, what is that song called? Um, All Around the World's Same Song. And I, th yeah. I think he's in the video for that, maybe? Yeah, I don't remember. I'm trying to... I know my friends from New York called me when I took the video and said, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing Tupac. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Because they were mad that you were working with a West Coast rapper or... Yeah, there was a, we had a huge, they haven't, we haven't spoken to each other since. I mean, forget it. Yeah. Um, but I love, uh, you know, that was a seminal experience for me. And Tupac ended up being, you know, I'll show you something. Hold on. While we talk, yeah. I'm going to show you something. This has never been seen by the public, but I will share it with you. I'm going to screenshot this so I can include it with the. You have to, because this is, this is a once in a lifetime thing. And I've never shown anyone this. And I, I'm surprised that I can even find it on my telephone. I'm not using up time. I'm still answering questions, but we are right. Here you go. This is me at the end of the I Get Around video with Tupac. All right. Hold on. This is getting screenshotted. Did you get it? That is the coolest thing ever. Come on, dude. And then I got in huge trouble with Jimmy Iovine because I took his shirt off and he had his Thug Life tattoo and Jimmy hadn't seen any of those tattoos yet. So he called me at home. He said, you ruined the video. We're throwing the video out. <laughs> I called Tupac. I was like, dude, I messed up. I remember I told you, because he was changing his shirt for the pool party scene. And I was like, he's going to put this other shirt on. And I'm like, dude, that's, those are cool tats. Let's shoot you with your shirt off. I saw so Jimmy, Jimmy Iovine. Iovine didn't want the tats? He had had the single Brenda's Got a Baby. So he was the first African-American rapper that was a male who was singing to black women in their situations and their experiences. And so he was, he had found a pocket that they believed was unique and special for him. And that portrayal of him as a gangster would ruin his momentum in that, that space. They should have just released both. You can't, well, he was, that's you what was amazing. Then I, I, we had two platinum hits, one with I get around, which is a very, semi-misogynistic gangster video, even though it's funny. And the other one being Keep Your Head Up, which is all about telling women to keep their head up and have pride in that, you know, black men should treat their, their women with respect and with, with love. And 
it was just, uh, he had, he was so bright. He was so intelligent as a human being and he could encompass both of those colors. And he was, he knew when to dial up one or the other. Yeah. Complex. He was a complicated dude. And he had both, you know, he was genuine in both arenas. Yeah. And he was a showman. I mean, and he was a showman. That's exactly right. And what was so funny is like, it, I, I interviewed uh, Jimmy a couple years ago and I said, you know, you gave me my first job and then you called me and you cursed me out because you thought I ruined it. And then Tupac threatened to leave the label and then you released the video and then it went platinum. He's like, oh, I remember some of that. <laughs> I blame that on Tom Wally. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. How much of your experience as a video director did you get to bring to this? A ton. Just working with music, shaping, movement of camera, lighting. Um, though, I mean, all of it came into play. It was great. You, you end up developing like a toolkit of things that you like and ca camera from camera equipment to just the way you want to tell a story and the way that it feels. Um, you know, I'd done a Maroon 5 video for a song called Girls Like You a couple years ago, which has a lot of different celebrities that are revealed over the course of the video. And the song along in this movie is very much developed and based on, it's an expansion off of what I did there with revealing these other Eurovision contestants in the video and yeah. sequencing it and recording it and building it that way. So that's a very direct influence. Um, but overall, you know, music videos, you're trying to get emotion and energy and even something like the Crashers montage and the beginning of Wedding Crashers is influenced by my music video roots. And yeah. I just, I like rhythm and music and I, I like getting people's blood pumping and getting people to be emotional. You know, at the end of this movie, the way that Husevik, you know, the, every sequence is choreographed by Tabitha Duomo, who's a great choreographer and put together all the sequences in the movie are very well thought out. That sequence at the end of the movie, I blocked them in that specific spacing. I wanted it a certain way. I wanted turns on certain lines and connections. And it's also very magical, but it is also, it's a music video that's been melted down into the telling the story in three acts during the course of that strange little music sequence in yeah. my mind. And so it's really, it, it always serves me. It, you know, the things that you, you learn that actually work, because you learn a lot that don't, <laughs> you have to fail a lot in any art form and especially in this business and where you're not allowed to fail a lot, but yeah. music videos let me try out things and explore things that I later now use in practically all of my filmmaking. Yeah. Is there anything, is there any big mistake that you can talk about so that filmmakers who are listening to this won't make it or are they also oh, mistakes? The biggest mistake is not to experiment. You know, or, or to look at anything that you think looks, there's a while when you're a young filmmaker that if you do something that looks, feels, and tastes like something else you've seen that you like, you feel really good about it. Cause you're like, oh, I can get to that. But that's not where the win is. The win is when you look at that thing that you want to do and go, what can I just change by two degrees and make it totally different? What can I do to make this just go beyond, you know, how do I break people's expectations? I think the joy of being an audience member is when you see something funny, emotional, thrilling, action, that just breaks your expectation, goes a little farther than you think. And that's the magic spot where your own sensibility and your own ideas really start to open up. You don't have to have the most original idea in the world. 
but you need to find a way to execute the ideas in a new way. You know, when I read Wedding Crashers, the end of the movie was basically almost the graduate. He walks into a church, Rachel McAdams is getting married. It worked. The beats were there. They were smart. I added a few extra beats to it with, you know, but when we, we looked at it, we we're like, how do we do this different? And Owen was like, God, we can't just do this. This is like, so once we realized that it could be Vince Vaughn's wedding at the end of this thing, all of a sudden it was Vince's wedding and he's going up as best man and she's the maid of honor. And you just change the blocking in the whole scene and you automatically don't feel like you're seeing the same construction. It's a very commercial construction in that movie. We just had every chance when it's, people think you're going right, you go left every time you can. And I just think that for young filmmakers, your own point of view is really important. You can't imagine how important your voice is in the storytelling. You know, this is a movie, by the way, Eurovision is a movie that Lemtov and Mita, those two secondary characters, didn't really have an arc in the first script that I read. In fact, they hardly connected with each other, you know, aside from being introduced. And um, <laughs> it just, it became a very important thing in, in the shape of the film. And, you know, you get to the end, Rachel didn't write a song in the script that I first read. Really? She didn't sing that song. And that was us getting in the room and trying to figure out how to fulfill her arc and her act. And how can we make this thing different? You know, what, who is this girl that would have stood by him all these years? Yeah. What's it, what would she want? What is it that she, what is the real psychology of someone who would have waited this long? And so, you know, it came out in a writing session and then we put it in and we restructured and shaped it. And I think that those ideas are really important because when I read the script, there was not the story that was my personal story in it. And I always want to try to put something personal into the movie. So I'm focused on it from what I understand. I had a career that exploded after wedding crashes up for the next 10 years as a kid that didn't come from this world or any of this success who my parents thought I was going to starve in Hollywood. <laughs> I turned on my, my ambition went crazy. And the next 10 years, I really did not pay attention to my marriage, my other relationships. I really disappeared into a hole. Hmm. And I came out of that realizing how much damage I had done by just being obsessed with my own stuff. Hmm. And so this movie became a movie about that hmm. because that was a story I had that I could tell. And that's what I think young filmmakers, you have to look at what you have to tell. Yeah. I think even in a comedy. Was this a movie that you could kind of show to your family and say, this is my, you know, you were always on my mind. Yes. I tell it to my wife. Yeah. I said, I said, this is, I wrote, this one's to, is my course correction in our relationship. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, a teachable moment for me. But Wedding Crashers was like, you know, I was a total loser as a kid, but a lot of fun at a party. So I had different kinds of friends that were really close to me that were wingmen. And what happens when you and your buddy are out there in the world all the time and you're, you know, you're even in high school, this was for me. And then all of a sudden he falls in love with the girl and you're like, well, is she coming along for everything now? And are we like, we're, I guess we're not, I guess now I'm not, I'm at the party by myself. I got no one to talk to. Like, how does the friendship survive love? Yeah. A friendship that's built around patriarchal shit. And that movie became that because of that for me, you know? And I think that the, at least for me, I love Jim Brooks. I love these people that 
when you see their, you know, the best of their work, their signature is really in there with who they are and what they're going through. You know, Nancy Myers always did it. She would just, you know, um, it's complicated. Like, oh yeah, the single mom whose kids finally leave the nest and how do you go back to dating and what are you allowed to do and who are you allowed to be? And you're an older woman and are you attractive? And what are these crazy guys that are my age? Like, that was wonderful. We had never seen any of that. Yeah. So I think about that all the time when I'm trying to kind of find, if I find a movie I like, I try to go like, well, what is the thing that I can do that'll make this thing a little more three-dimensional? You always need to deliver the comedy, the emotion, or the, the thrills, or, or the scares, or whatever it is you're doing. That's your number one job when you direct a movie. But you, you know, when you're doing commercial films, they don't always come with a story like that involved. And I always try to entrench them back into that core storytelling so that there is a, a real journey for the characters. Look, I don't know how to do Austin Powers or Zoolander. Those movies are some of my favorites. They're genius. I don't understand how they're directing those scenes. I, huh. I think that it's amazing how they get to that comedy. It is a whole other muscle. I direct all my comedy scenes like they're drama. I know what's funny, I know where the jokes are, I understand where the rhythms are, but when I go in, you know, when Will and Rachel have to break up, they're there, they're breaking up. We're going through those emotions for real. That's why you kind of start to get gripped into that third act. Yeah. When the dad realizes he fails and leaves that bar alone, that's actually an emotional moment that starts to turn the movie. Where you're like, whoa, where are we going now with this? Like, where are we left to go? So that third act becomes very satisfying. And the same thing happened with Vince and Owen, you know, like there were some scenes that weren't in that original script that I added later. There's just a couple, but like them sitting on the Lincoln Memorial looking out and going like, you know, maybe we're getting too old. And one day we'll look back on this and we'll say we're young and stupid. And he's like, yeah, we're not that young. <laughs> like that was like, I remember pitching that line to Owen and him laughing on the phone going, yeah, 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 I get it. And like, we got to tell the story you know, of these two guys in their breakup and they're refinding each other as friends, which was, you know, the bromance thing of it all, I guess. They told me one more question and I feel like that's a great place to end, but since I have one more question. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I'm going to indulge and ask if there's a Tupac, um, if there's a through line from Tupac to this, I mean, if there's anything that you got from working with him, can you tell him a big Tupac Tupac fan? Um, I do. And I'm a big (laughs) Tupac fan. And, you know, Man, I just think the thing that I always go back to is the fact that music is already entertaining. Like I always used to say, and I did, I've done lots of music videos and, and I love them. And um, if the music is great, you are going to, and you don't screw up the rest, you're, you're doing something great. Music is the most immediate emotional connection you can make to any art form, I think, is music. I, it just, it's instantaneous. You know, the minute the groove or anything, the sound starts, you start to have an emotional reaction. So when you take that to movie making, the question is like, how do I enhance that? What am I doing to push the ideas forward, to push the energy forward, the atmosphere, the aura of the artist? And I think that this movie was just so delightful for me to actually then be in the seat to be able to create the music. Yeah. And the number one thing I said when I came into the movie and I said to Netflix, I'm like, the music's gotta be great. Yeah. Like, I don't wanna try to make stupid songs 
that are making jokes of this contest that people who love this contest are going to see and be like, I don't know, you know, but I started with Tupac with great music. And there's a reason those videos became beloved. Look, the one video that I, I won an MTV award for, which I still is, it's, it's unbelievably strange and immature music video that was huge, but it was the two, the, the Coolio video I did for one, two, three, four, something new. Yeah. And it's the silliest video. I had a huge fight getting Coolio under the big wheel. It was just like he did not want to get on the big wheel. It's the iconic image from the song. Um, and But you look at it, the song is great. I don't think that video is very good. It somehow became beloved. It somehow won an MTV award. Maybe there's something that I don't get out of what I did. But the song is awesome. So... You know, and Ridley Scott, my mentor, who produced my first movie, Clay Pigeon, said to me, he's like, the music is the one thing you have control over, that you really, there's no excuse for music, the score, anything to not be great. And I really love that. And it always stuck with me. So I think there is a through line from Tupac, which is like, those are some of the best songs I ever worked with.